enough and wealthy enough, then we won't need God. That we can make heaven on earth on our terms. But the more that we've tried to cut God out, the worse things have gotten. Don't you think? Our world is a big crisis of the environment, of business, of technology, of a pandemic, of riots and injustice. And we don't just see this outside. We feel this in our own lives. You and I live in an epidemic of loneliness, of mental health problems, of addiction. The more that our culture has tried to cut God out and to make heaven on earth, the less like heaven earth has become. And by nature, we show up listening to the lies that are around us. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that part of the work of being a follower of Jesus is to look through the lies our culture tells us and to live into the reality that God's Word points us to so that we can lean into who we actually are and where the world is actually headed. I'm reminded of a few years ago, I was playing golf with a good friend and I was hitting the ball that day and just shanking it left and right and topping it. And it was, it was terrible until my friend stopped me and he said, you know, if you hit the ball and you follow through and you look to where the ball is going, it'll go so much smoother and it'll be way better for you. And I did and he was right. And what I want to suggest to you in that is it a correct view of the future reality that we're heading to, watching where we're going, can shape and correct so much of what is misguided and messed up about the way that we perceive ourselves and the world and our reality. So tonight we're talking about the glory of God's bride. And guys, just a word to you as we begin, don't check out on the bridal language here. The Bible says that God's people are both sons and brides. And if the women can get talked about as being sons, then you and I can get talked about as being brides. Both images are pictures that God's given us to help us understand our relationship to Him. Both are helpful. So tonight as I jump in, my outline for is this. That the bride is complete. The bride is beautiful. And the bride is beloved. Think about the description at the start of this. That God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There's a completeness, a wholeness that comes from the very presence of God with His people. Who doesn't want an end to tears? Who doesn't long for a day when there's no more heartbreak? Or no more violence? Or no more racism? And normally we think about this sort of thing just in terms of our own lives, but you need to know as you look at this that God himself longs for that as well. That the whole shape of the Bible, beginning in Genesis and finally ending in Revelation, is that the world was made good, the world was broken by our sin, and that God is putting the world back together. This is a picture of the culmination of the end of all of God's longings. And you long for that future glory as well. You long for it when you look in the mirror and you long to feel beautiful. You long for that glory when you go on a hike with your friends. And it's so wonderful and it's so fun. And you look out and you're so close to these people. You love them and you see the mountains upon mountains upon mountains. And you look and you think, ah, oh, I wish it could be like this always. 
You long for that glory when you see the brokenness of streets on fire and people crying out and leaders that are ineffective. You may not know it, but you long for the source of all that goodness and beauty and wisdom and love. You long for no more tears. You long for no more mourning. You long for no more pain, no more racism or disease or riots or horrible videos of vulnerable people being hurt. You long for the broken way of doing things to be done away with. You long for that, but more importantly, God longs for that too. This is why the voice from the throne is loud. Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. We feel so far away from that reality sometimes, don't we? I mean, it just doesn't feel like most of our lives have this operative principle of glory operating in them, does it? I mean, take, for instance, just an example. What if you were at home after a hard semester and you were really bored and you were kind of lonely and there were days when you just scroll through Instagram for like hours and hours and hours and sometimes you just kind of check out and you marinate in porn and you're hanging with your family all the time and it's so boring but it's also so clearly broken and it just doesn't feel like glory is this operative principle in your life. Look, you need to know that this city that is also a bride is not coming up from the earth to God, but it's coming down from God to the earth. That it's God who will complete the glory of his people. It's God who will complete your glory. That whatever is broken and sad and ugly in his people, God will make it glorious. That is our hope as Christians. And that is not hope in the sense of, man, I hope I make it to the beach sometime this summer. That is hope in the sense of God himself has longed for this. And so I believe that he will make it come to pass. It's hope that's founded in the reality of the gospel. That Christ didn't love his people because he came to them and found them beautiful. He loved them in spite of their obvious sin and foulness. And in his love, he has achieved their beauty. And he didn't do that for an abstract, imaginary bunch of like Bible people somewhere out there. He did that for real people like you and like me who live in this world right now. He will make us complete. And so not only is the bride complete, but the bride is beautiful as well. You know, one of the great pleasures of this job is that I get to marry students that have met one another in RUF. And a few years ago, I got to do one of these weddings. And the guy that was getting married, he was like the most stoic just in his head, intellectual, like not a huge feeler kind of guy. And the girl, she was the one that we thought like, you know, this is the person that will be crying and shedding tears if there is one of those in this group. And as the wedding is getting started, it's this classic like Scottish Presbyterian wedding because in the balcony in the second row of the church, there's a man dressed in a kilt, and he's got bagpipes. He's just wailing amazing grace, and these big double doors come through, and the bride starts to walk down the aisle, and she's in white, and she's lovely, and she's smiling and beaming, but cool as a cucumber. But I look over to the groom, and that guy is just like tears running down his face, sobbing, like 
just looking at the woman whom he loves and just is undone by her. As I'm going through the ceremony and I'm asking them vows, she's repeating after me and she's crushing it. Like, no problems at all. He is so choked up that he's got to stop me every minute or so and just say, hold on, hold on. Let me just, let me just collect myself for a minute. He was just so excited and so in love that this very normal, very reserved man with this just laid-back personality was just undone. And Christians, we tend to hear that and think, now we need to love Jesus like that man loved his bride. But that's not the point. The point is that we should look at that and see that that is how Jesus loves us. That he looks at us coming through time towards him, towards this glory, and he's undone. He sees you and he loves you. He adores you. Only when you start to see yourself through the lens of God's love for you will you be able to move into the world with the sort of courage and compassion and sacrifice that you need to love hard people and to have hope and looking at the brokenness of a situation and saying one day this will be beautiful because God himself has said that it will be beautiful and he longs for that beauty because he longs over me. Think about the beauty language in this as well. The Apostle John is straining at the limits to describe what he sees. In verse 18, he says this, that the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. I mean, think about that for a minute. How can gold be like clear glass? It's like he's got to turn to poetry to describe what's really going on here. Or look a little farther down where the foundations of the city are described. It's all these jewels, right? Emeralds and sapphires. And the gates of the city are pearl. And the streets are paved in gold. And there's all these other gemstones that we don't even really like, have a normal experience with, right? Like chrysolite is this neon Gatorade green. Agate has all these stripes. Carnelian is sort of a bright orangey red. This city is one extraordinarily gaudy piece of jewelry. It's opulent and it's rich. A decorator would say it pops. Why does it pop? Because the bride shares in the beauty of God himself. It says here that she looks like Jasper. If you look back though to Revelation 4, who else is described as looking like Jasper? God. The promise here is that whatever in you that needs cleansing renewal, redemption, forgiveness, not only will Jesus make it clean, he will make it radiant. He will make you radiant. That you will be a light with the light of heaven burning through you like a lamp that holds the sun. The beauty of the bride here is just tied to the reality of the gospel. I mean, think about the whole marriage analogy that we're given. That when you marry a person, if that person is deeply in debt, you marry into that debt, don't you? On the other hand, if you marry someone who's extremely rich, you get their wealth. What they own becomes what you own. How they fare in life is how you will fare. That at the heart of the gospel is the reality that Jesus Christ has married himself to you. And in so doing, he's taken on himself everything that you have. He took all of your sin. He was crushed for it. He paid that debt. And yet in doing so, he gives you everything that he has. So then in the end, he gives the bride not just his life, but his very glory. That's his by possession of virtue of being God himself. 
Look, this is why Jesus can't just be a good teacher to us. Look, if Jesus is just a teacher for you, you'll miss out on the main reason for his coming. That his giving his life to you and for you. And if you are someone that thinks of yourself as a Christian and you share in that life, then know that you will come to love what he loves. And part of that loving is loving the bride, other Christians, other people around you. That To love Jesus means to love the church. And to love anything means to tangibly commit yourself to it through real action. That even in times like these, you and I, even if it's over Zoom, need to join a church if we're not part of one. And stay connected to a church even when it's inconvenient or messy. Like anything else, love is not love if you leave when it's no longer easy. We also need to serve real people in that church. Whether you're delivering meals to low-income school children, or teaching Sunday school over Zoom, or praying and lamenting with our brothers and sisters over injustice in our country, and maybe even, if you have the opportunity, going on a peaceful demonstration. To love the church and her people is to say that I want to be a part of making you as beautiful as I know that you will one day be. And I want you to be a part of that in my life as well. That is the beauty of the bride. But the bride's not just beautiful and complete. The bride is also beloved. Look, I know as I talk about all this glory stuff that it seems kind of over the top, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's huge. It's beautiful. It's poetry. That this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Like all the crazy glory stuff in the Bible is true, but its truth is meant to point us to the deeper truth of how beloved God's bride is. That God is willing to spend outrageously, exorbitantly on her because he loves her. And that's not somebody out there. If you're someone who's put your faith in Jesus, that's you. And my guess for you is that your big struggle in life, the one that's behind all the struggles deep, 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 deep down, is that you're trying to figure out if God really loves you. And that if he does, how much does he love you? That the most basic conviction of the gospel that we have to offer to you is that God loves you like he loves his bride because you are a part of that bride. And he does so not because of anything in you, but because of everything in him. That we come together, even on Zoom calls like this, to be perfected in that love and to practice that love and to proclaim that love. That when the church is being who she's meant to be, a bride, that her voice is a voice of love to a broken world. That is why we gather for worship and we gather to hear a sermon because we want to hear the voice of our beloved telling us who we are, that we are loved so we can speak his voice after him, to him and to one another. Look, when you read stuff like this, do you ever put yourself in this position of the bride? Do you ever think that God has a deep yearning for you, a deep urgent desire for you and how you will one day be? You should. The Bible teaches us to think about it in that way. Have you ever thought about your sin as a search for the voice of your beloved? Then every Tinder hookup, in every Instagram binge, you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And every time you listen to the siren song of porn, that what you're doing is you're just searching, searching, searching for the voice that's searching for you. 
that God wants you to know that He wants you to be with Him. That He speaks to you with an intimate voice, a voice of adoration and comfort. Do you think of God in this way? Or do you think that you're on His last nerve and He can't give you up because it would make Him look bad? As though God is somehow caught between the private agony of being with you or the public shame of punning on you. Look, though, God is a lover, and you are beloved. I don't know how you think about God. I just, I don't. But I suspect that most of us don't think of Him in a way that He looks at us with this ardent joy and desire. Look, everyone is terrified of insignificance. Everyone's afraid of failure, terrified of rejection, terrified of themselves, terrified about the future, terrified about God, terrified of one another. We're afraid that something's going to happen to us and half the time we don't even know what that thing is. Everyone struggles with this, but listen to me. Listen to me. God loves you. He doesn't just kind of love you. He doesn't unwillingly love you. He adores you. And love drives out fear. However you worry, your life will go. Whatever you're afraid of, if you're a part of the church, you will end up in glory and beauty and the ultimate significance of being the beloved of the creator and the redeemer of the universe. Look, God isn't logging your failure. God's not holding you in contempt. He's not disappointed with you because you still sin and you still make the same mistakes and you still don't get the gospel. God's not shaming you or forgetting you. He loves you. Love is God's response to the brokenness of the world. Like, I know that we can look cynically at this and say, really? Like, the world is on fire. Our cities are on fire. And all we've got is love? Yes. Love is honest. Love is beautiful. Love will end in glory. Love is exactly what we need right now. For God so loved the world, and that world will end in the beauty and the glory that Revelation is talking about here. Like the only hope for the world's transformation is it's being loved with the love of Jesus Christ. That is its answer. And you're going to move into the world at times and feel like that's nothing. But listen to me. Listen to me. You're loved. You're loved. Because that's not the only hope for the world. That's your only hope too. And so I want to end with this. I heard a story about a prominent family in this small West Texas town. And the dad of this family was this big businessman, big church guy, very successful leader in the local community. And he has this big family and his daughter, she goes away to college And she does kind of the walk away from the faith thing, but on steroids. And while she's at college, she gets pregnant. And so she drops out and she comes home. And, you know, it's not one of those things that you can really keep a secret, right? Like she'd been at college and now she's back. Uh, Your body starts to have some pretty big changes. Eventually there's a baby. And everybody in town starts to talk about it. Here was this girl who'd been the good Christian girl from the good Christian family who went to college and went wild, and now we can really see the messy stuff underneath. And, you know, you know how people love to talk. So she has the baby. She doesn't have anything to do with the dad. And she starts to come back into the church. 
and really find a lot of healing there. And she really recommits her life to Jesus, and she meets this guy in this church who loves her and loves her child, and things get to the point where they get engaged, and it raises all these questions for this little community. Like, what kind of wedding does someone who's messed up like this get? I mean, she's done some bad things. Obviously, does she get a nice dress? Does she get a big wedding? Or is it going to be like this little small ceremony that we just kind of have so we can say we had it and then we kind of put that away? And everyone is thinking in this small town, what kind of wedding is this flagrant sinner going to get? Do you know what her dad did? He wrote the biggest check he'd ever written. And he threw the biggest wedding that town had ever seen. He went way over the top. He spent thousands of dollars on the flowers. He had a live band, open bar, a lobster buffet, crazy nonstop fun wedding. It was amazing. People talked about it for a long time. Why did this dad throw such an elaborately expensive wedding for someone who'd sinned so much? Because she was his beloved. And he understood the gospel. And he knew that her sin was not what defined her because she was his beloved. But he knew that glory and love and wholeness was the framework of her story. And beloved, I want to say that's your framework too. That's your story as well. So live into that reality. Live into the love that the Lord Jesus has for you and the glory that's waiting for you for now and eternity. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're kind, kind, kind to love sinners like us. And Lord, I pray that we would take all of our longings and all of our cries for justice and all of our hurts and all of our brokenness and all of our secret sins and our shame and our darkness and the darkness around us, God, and we would give those things to you. And we would demand of you that because you love us, you would make these things glorious and you make them new. Jesus, be at work in our lives. Be at work in our world. God, give us eyes to see through the lies of our world and the lies of our culture. God, help us to see that only you will bring the heavenly city down to earth and that we will never bring a, build a city that would come to you. But Lord, let us wait and look and long for that city just as you long for it and do good preparing the world for the beauty that awaits her. In your name we pray, amen. Oh, I was on mute. Amen, amen, amen. That's what I said. Thank you, Simon. Um, thank you very much. Um, we will uh, now be going into our